to come, therefore, shall make you free. Ye shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for July 3rd, 2011. And today we're going to uh, continue back with the uh, study that we were doing on hidden Luciferians in Christian culture. Not to say that every single person that is brought up in this study is necessarily a hidden Luciferian. Uh, They may just be uh, very deceived, deluded, maybe just flat evil. Um, But I just kind of wanted to clarify that point. Um, because we can't obviously be dogmatic about every single person. Some of them, I think, are pretty obvious regarding the evidence that's been uh, presented here. And uh, we'll go ahead and continue today. And today we're going to segue into kind of a mini-study on Amy Grant. And this is a good way, this type of study is a good way for me to cover a lot of ground, because instead of me just doing a dedicated study on Amy Grant, We can incorporate several, uh, in this particular instance, let's say Christian rock groups, and possibly uh, we're going to segue back into more the Christian ministers later, Lord willing, Uh, and we can cover a lot of bases because we can actually uh, do little mini exposés on on several different groups and uh, cover a lot of bases, and then what happens is, is that they will be in the table of contents for the PDF for 7-3-2011, and if you do a keyword search for like Amy Grant on the contendingfortruth.com website, then this study will, will start to show up once I post it. And I'm only, what I'm doing now is I'm splitting the table of contents up into the various sections that I'm covering in a given segment. So I'm not going to have Amy Grant in three different studies. We're just going to have it most likely in the, just this next part, which will be part uh, six of the Hidden Luciferians in Christian Culture. Probably today it's going to end up being like six through eight, uh, I, I believe. So it's about 21 pages to cover. So it probably be about that long. So uh, let's go ahead and go into this study. This is regarding Amy Grant. And what I've done again is I've I took the original study that was actually entitled Hidden Luciferians in Christian Culture, and I've added a lot to it. I've expanded it. I've added a lot of Bible verses to it. I've added other uh, news sources to it. So uh, it's kind of unique now in in, in the way that I have this. But the PDFs are always available uh, for a given particular study, and... um, This one will be available for the July 3rd, 2011 study. So, Amy Grant, the queen bee of Christian rock is Amy Grant. Now, that may not be the case today, but at the time of the writing of this article, it was. I can remember when I got saved back in 1994, I would have to say that that was most likely the case. Uh, This goes on to say, Amy says, why isolate yourself? This is a quote. Why isolate yourself? Your life isolates you enough. I'm not isolated when I walk into a room and somebody says, she's a Christian, and nobody offers me a joint. And then all the coke, meaning cocaine, disappears. End of quote. Now this is from a book that was written about her by Bob Millard, Amy Grant, and that was on page 169. And this isn't the unauthorized biography. Okay, This is a biography that was authorized. And so I give you an actual picture of of this cover, 
And I, let me just read you the um, what Publishers Weekly said about this particular book that we're quoting from. Millard is the guy that wrote the biography. is a former radio transcript Nashville correspondent for Variety and a contributor to several to numerous country music magazines, and offers an in-depth look at the 25-year-old Christian singer who has sold more than three million records, including the gospel industry's first platinum album, Age to Age. So she was pretty big deal, first platinum album ever in the uh, gospel industries, whatever whatever that encompasses. Born into a deeply religious, well-to-do Georgia family, Grant began singing at Nashville's exclusive girls' school, Harper Hall, started her gospel recording career at 16, attended Vanderbilt, married singer-songwriter Gary Chapman in 1982, and carried home several Grammy Awards, and then moved into the pop mainstream in 1985. She went into secular music from Christian. Okay, so this is the type of person we're dealing with. Now, I, I know one woman in particular who's been a longtime friend of mine back in Florida, and I mean, she was obsessed with Amy Grant. I mean, Amy Grant could do no wrong. I mean, she sang her songs, she just thought that she was the best Christian on the planet, and this is why the Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departed from the Lord. She, I mean, she ended up getting in, and, and still is, into a lot of things that are highly unbiblical. But, People like this, particularly ones that have a Pentecostal bent to them, like she did, they really, really, really tend to go with their heart. Because they believe that God is leading them, because there's no way they could that music or something could make them feel, feel that good, which is your heart, and it not be of God. So remember, Satan's the master counterfeiter, and there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the other of the ways of death... Proverbs 16.25 and 14.12, and he who trusteth in his own heart is a fool, uh, Proverbs 28.26, you know, and again, the, the heart is not something that you want to trust in. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it, Jeremiah 17.9. So it's not something that you want to start following your heart. And, and with Christian music, particularly not so much biblical Christian music, but this type that has a rock twist into it, um, it evokes, you know, a lot of heartfelt emotions and feelings and things of this nature, and they slap a Christian label on it, or veneer, and a lot of people think, well, that makes it all right. Now it's sanctioned by God, and it's not sanctioned by God, and again, we've, we've done an in-depth look at Michael W. Smith, and um, uh, we're going to be doing a look today at, at Amy Grant. Uh, third day, and I think we've looked at some other uh, groups as well, and it's obvious that they're into some very satanic stuff. I mean, it's super mega obvious. And so who are they really working for? Are they really working for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is the Lord Jesus Christ really the one that's inspiring these people to yoke up with who they've yoked up with, to say the things they've said, to put the things on the album covers that are there for anyone to see. I mean, these are some really high-level occult things that we're dealing with. So, if you were Satan, and you were trying to pollute the body of Christ to the greatest degree and extent, wouldn't you want to go after the main figures in a particular Christian movement, whether it be music or whether it be ministerial? 
and go after them and corrupt them so that they can corrupt those underneath them because if the head is sick, the whole body's going to be sick. That's what's happening here. Here's another quote by... Uh, so again, let me just read you this quote from Amy Grant on page 162 of Amy Grant, uh, the biography. Why isolate yourself? Your, your life isolates you enough. I'm isolated when I walk into a room and somebody says she's a Christian and nobody offers me a joint. Meaning a marijuana cigarette. That's what a joint is. Uh, and all the coke or cocaine disappears. End of quote. I mean, that's, that's a pretty heavy-duty statement by somebody that says she's a Christian. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts. Well, the root word in the Bible for sorcery is pharmakia. Okay, pharmakia. And, and again, when you get into the, the thing like marijuana, or you get into particularly the drugs that are mind-altering, or cocaine, obviously, all mind-altering. You're dealing with not just the drug itself, but you're dealing with the spirit of the drug behind it. See, there's specific spirits behind each thing. There's, there's specific... Why do you think when you go into like a... I really believe this is the case. Let's say they call... Uh, you go into a bar and or a liquor store. And I'm not saying do that, but... They, what do they call liquor? Called spirits. I truly believe there are different spirits behind each one of these, whether it be drugs or um, even even a lot of the mind altering drugs that the pharmaceutical company, the pharmaceutical industry puts out. And we've done a whole study on that, and I actually give you the link to that later on uh, pharmacia and uh, how that is actually the root word for sorcery. So. Her next quote is, Amy says, quote, Petting happens. As a teenager, when I gave part of me to someone, I knew I was going to flirt, have a little fun. End of quote. Petting. Okay, now, most of you probably know what that is, but it's basically the thing for somebody that doesn't understand that term it's basically I mean I'm trying to be do this in the most mild manner way I can it's kind of the thing that leads up to sex okay the thing that gets you there in certain instances uh, that's what she's in reference to when she says petting happens uh, basically like groping you know prior to sexual intercourse so Petting happens as a teenager when I gave part of me to someone I knew I was going to flirt. So she's already admitting she's she's given part of herself. Well, that was probably a total lie because typically if it gets that far, it will go all the way. And um, she was just going to have flirt, have a little fun, just a little fun. And this is why you know the Bible, you know, expressly forbids fornication, sex outside of marriage, adultery. Sex within the bounds bonds of marriage, and she did that as well as we'll see. But she doesn't think it's a really big deal. Well, the Bible would contradict her. The Word of God would definitely contradict her. Um, and we could do a whole study just on that one subject, and actually have biblical sexual prohibitions uh, where I do cover um, some of that. It's you can do a keyword search in uh, the ContendingForTruth.com website. On the right side, there's a little search bar. And we also have the free newsletter sign-up on the right side as well. And the Contending for Truth uh, uh, toolbar uh, as well, which is a great resource to have. 
and uh, you can download that for free. That's on the right-hand side. If you scroll down a little bit, a listener put that up for us, Malcolm. And um, the website's definitely moving in the right direction, so praise the Lord for that. So, going further, Amy Grant tells Ladies Home Journal, and this is December of 1985, page 210, quote, It seems to me that people who are most adamantly against premarital sex have experienced some kind of pain in their own lives. Like the people who say absolutely no to rock and roll. Chances are it has something to do with a past sadness. What does that mean? So, in other words, somebody that doesn't say, gives a thumb up, thumbs up to premarital sex, or a thumbs up to rock and roll as well, and again, rock and roll, that term is the actual, the re, what that term actually meant when it was developed was the sexual act. Okay? Back in the 50s or whatever when it was coined. And so, somebody that doesn't give up the, the um, uh, thumbs up to rock and roll or premarital sex it, are people that have had some past sadness. I mean, that is pathetic. Really, it, our opinions don't matter. Our opinions are irrelevant if they don't line up with the Word of God. My opinion is irrelevant if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. Everybody's got opinions. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, oh, God wouldn't do that. Oh, he's not. God's a God of love. He would never do something, you know, that, that type of thing. You know, And these people end up inventing their own little cult pet religion. Because they think, well, if I were God, this is the way I'd do it. Well, you're not. And his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. So, going further, it says, Amy's song, Baby, Baby was an unprecedented in gospel music history, topping the chart as the number one spot on Billboard magazine. Um, how could they call that gospel? Because <laughs> that, that song's anything but gospel. Uh, People magazine, uh, July 15, 1991, page 71, says Amy's video, Baby Baby, there's, quote, there's saintly Amy cuddling some hunky guy crooning baby baby into his ear and looking pretty sleek and sinful. And it, I, I give you some screenshots of the actual... I remember the video when I was when I was growing up. I mean, actually, that was, paid, that was 1991. And I guess this was somewhere between, you know, 1991, 1985, in that time range there. But I give you some screenshots here of the actual video itself, and uh, I'm assuming at the time she was probably married as well. And this, it was a video that she was actually in and singing in, and then had this guy who was not her husband, you know, acting like this was her lover type of thing. It was called Baby Baby. Anyway, after all, Amy confesses, "I'm trying to look sexy and sell a record." End of quote. That was that quote was in Rolling Stone magazine, June 6, nineteen eighty five, page ten. I'm trying to look sexy and sell a record. Wow, that's really biblical. I mean, that's just there's a lot of Bible to back that one up, you know. In nineteen ninety eight, Amy left her husband of sixteen years, Gary Chapman, another Christian recording artist. Gary literally got on his knees and begged Amy to stay. In June of 1999, Amy divorced Gary, though. And quickly in March of 2000, Amy married country music star Vince Gill. 
1996, Vince's wife, Janice, found a note that said, quote, I love you, Amy, end of quote, in his golf bag. And all of the, all these things I'm reading you are referenced. If you want to see the references, they're here in the actual PDF for uh, 7-3-2011. So as early as 1994, Amy told Gary, I've given my heart to another man. So it went four years after she had told Gary Chapman, her husband, that she had given her heart to another man. And four years later, she finally divorces him. He's sitting there begging her on her knees. To stay. She's the real Proverbs 31 dutiful wife, I'll tell you. Uh, I mean, what a abhorrent example. I mean, you talk about no fear of God. No biblical grounds to leave this guy. doesn't sound like. I mean, she was cheating on him. She had to have been. She's given her heart to another man, and that was four years before the divorce was finalized? I mean, come on. It's pretty easy to do the math here. Um, she said, I've given my heart to another man. Uh, and again, there's another reference there you can you can look at. Amy admits to ABC's primetime then, quote, I think that part of me loved him, meaning Vince, instantly. End of quote. Maybe lusted. I don't really believe she's capable of the actual true emotion of love. I mean, she's just, she's a mess, obviously. Going further, though Amy has denied any sexual contact with Vince before their marriage, few believe her. So, Vince left his wife unbiblically, and she left her husband unbiblically, and then they joined up in their whorish union that's not sanctified by God either. Just because you have a marriage certificate does not mean God sanctioned the marriage. I, I mean, that's to me, that's irrelevant. The Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And they both... Totally, well, they, they're totally acting like unbelievers. I don't believe either of them are saved. Uh, she left him with no grounds for divorce other than she loved another man. You know, it's the <laughs> real bad situation there. So going further, though, Amy has denied any sexual contact with Vince before their marriage. Few believe her, including Gary Chapman, her ex-husband. When asked whether Amy and Vince were romantically involved, Gary says, quote, could I answer? Yeah. Will I answer? Probably not. I think by Amy's admission, they've been very dear friends for years. Oh yeah, but they're real dear friends. She loved, supposedly she loved him instantly. And then he goes on to say, I suspect most people can add. I'll leave that to their mathematical ability. End of quote. In other words, come on. I mean, anybody with two eyes in their head can, can see what's going on here. So this is the Another legacy of Amy Grant. On Amy's Lead Me album, like what, God's leading her? No, no, I think it's like Satan lead me. Because it seems as though that's what her life's doing. I mean, okay, so you've got this person, and she was in the like the gospel music industry, and then she breaks off, okay, around 1985, and she goes into the, the secular, number one billboard uh, song, Baby Baby. Now, can you imagine... The people that were disillusioned, that were fans of hers, they were her idol. Literally. Why did they call it American Idol or Teen Idols? Because they are. And God says, I'll have no idols before me. Now, there's a lot of things that can be idols in her life, but there are actual people and these types of things in the Hollywood world, in the sporting world, LeBron James and, and people like Amy Grant and these supposed superstars, even in ministry, 
that people idolize. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and that maketh flesh his arm. Jeremiah 17.5 You know, don't idolize any man. Don't idolize me for sure. <laughs> okay? You know, I mean, don't idolize anybody. We need to save that spot in our in, in us for the Lord Jesus Christ. For His Word. For Father God. We don't need to like direct that because, you know, anything that comes between you and God is essentially an idol. And a lot of people idolized her. She goes over to secular, not to say her music before that was perfect or whatever. But, and you've got all these people probably totally disillusioned, you know. Wow, how could Amy have done this? And then she cheats on her husband. And, then, you know, and, and a lot of people will fall away from the faith just because of stuff like this. They'll go to a church, and the pastor will get caught having whatever, an affair on his wife. And, and they, had, they had spent all this money, time, resources, and to put this guy up on a pedestal, only to see him fall. And then what that does is it causes them to fall away. Well, what was their trust in? What was their faith in? Was it in the Word of God? The King James Bible in the English-speaking language, was it in the Word of God? Was it in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or was it in some man or some woman or some ministry or some Christian rock star? I mean, you know, God will always put you in a position where I think those types of things will become apparent. Eventually, if not, you know, not right away. So going further, on, the, on Amy's Lead Me album... Should be Satan lead me, as I said. Amy and good old Michael W. Smith, who we talked about in recent weeks, high-level occultist, I would say, hidden Luciferian. I would, I mean, I, I, there cannot be any doubt about that, hopefully, after those teachings we've done. And I'm sure we could go much further, but... Amy and Michael W. Smith wrote the Sin, Sin Temptation Adultery song, Faithless Heart. Why doesn't that surprise me about Michael W. Smith teaming up with Amy Grant? Sin, Temptation, Adultery song called Faithless Heart. This is the duet song they wrote uh, together. Uh, let me just read you some of the lyrics of this particular song. At times the woman deep inside me wanders far from home. Now, this could easily and, and almost assuredly is regarding... Her affair that she was probably been having ongoing for a long time with Vince Gill, who she ended up divorcing her husband of whatever, 16 years, and marrying country music star Vince Gill. Okay, As far as I know, I don't know if he's professing a Christian, but, you know, I mean, you get over into that vein and it's not, it doesn't even have a Christian veneer on it, you know. Not to say that, you know, to have a fake Christian veneer is any better, but... Um, you know, it's just a very, very, it looks very, very bad um, regarding this type of situation. So, going further, at times, this is the, the lyrics for Faithless Heart or Partial. At times the woman deep inside me wanders far from home. And, I, and in my mind, I live a life that chills me to the bone. A heart running for arms out of reach, but who is the stranger my longing seeks? I don't know. Well, she did know, and it was good old Vince. But she can't say that in the song. I know it's Vince. 
you know, because I'm assuming that this was written, uh, yeah, ni- 1988. So this was before the, the affair was known about. This was before she had told her husband that she'd given her heart to another man. Maybe she didn't know at that point. Maybe she was just really in the market. You know, hey, she's married, you know, up and coming, you know. I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking to upgrade on my husband here. It's kind of like trading your car in. A lot of guys do that. You know, they oh, they hit that middle age crisis and they kind of want to trade up on their wife, you know, trade trade in for a little newer model, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of Bible for that. There's tons of Bible. There's a lot of Bible condemning it is what there is. You know, what, what does it all stem from? Self. Our biggest enemy, all of us, me included, is that four-letter word, self. That is our biggest enemy that we have to watch out for. I, I know that you could say, you could say, well, no, Satan really is. Yeah, but Satan is the one that has his legions of devils, demons, and fallen angels that will are studying you, or have studied you to a certain extent, not to say all of them, but certain ones do. They're called familiar spirits because they're familiar with your activities, okay, and they know about you. And they study you, and they study your weaknesses and your strengths, and they go after your weaknesses. This is why the Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes and principalities and rulers of wickedness. So these are the things where that we, we battle against. Okay, so let me read that verse to you right from the Bible. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil... For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So, you know, that just to kind of round that out. So back to these lyrics here. Um, A heart running for arms out of reach, but who is the stranger my longing seeks? I don't know, but it scares me through and through, because I've a man at home, in this case Gary Chapman, who needs me to be true. Do you think he was kind of wondering a little bit when they came out with this song? Kind of a red flag? You know, a little tiny red flag, this song, maybe? I don't know. Because I have a man at home who needs me to be true. Oh, faithless heart, you tempt me to the core. So, this is why the Bible says, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Satan is the one that will lead you into temptation. But he, he, what he does is he capitalizes on the part of you, the part of self, particularly the weaknesses that you have. Because we've all got, we've all got strength and weakness. Nobody's walking around in sinless perfection. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, as the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1. So we don't, not that we should strive to have sin, we're not supposed to use our liberty for an occasion of the flesh. Okay, so going further, uh, those were the lyrics. That was from 1988 song, A Faintless Heart, on her album, Lead Me On. Now, that reminded me of this portion of scripture. Okay, this portion of the faithless heart. Okay, woman deep, deep, uh, inside me wanders far from home. I live a life that chills me to the bone, a heart running for arms out of reach, but who is the stranger my longing seeks? I don't know, but it scares me. Because I have a man at home who needs me to be true. Oh, faithless heart, you tempt me to the core. Now, compare that with this portion of Scripture in the Bible, because this is the portion of Scripture that I believe the Holy Spirit convicted me of as soon as I read that. 
Proverbs 7, verses 6 through 23. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and beheld among the simple ones I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Passing through the street near her corner, he went the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night, because they want to do this undercover. When sin is most best done undercover, because the cover of darkness conceals things. Going further, it says, And behold, there met him a woman with an attire of an harlot, she was dressed like a whore, and subtle of heart. She was very subtle. Well, so was Satan. Okay? And he, Satan is referred to, or the serpent, where he makes his real first appearance in Genesis 3, as the most subtle beast of the field when he tempted Eve, which is where the first human sin of the Bible was ever committed. So she was very subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. See, in reality, she's actually loud and stubborn. But when the whore approaches the young man, because she wants to upgrade, you know, her husband's getting a little old, and, you know, she wants to do a little upgrade, have some affairs on the side. Well, she wants a young a young guy. But in reality, she may act subtle, she may act all nice and wonderful when you first meet her, but she's actually loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now she is without, now in the streets. So she's out in the streets looking for a boy toy or whatever. Okay. Now she's without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face she said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. I hope this, I guess, was this in some type of religious context, evidently? Uh, Evidently, since she did that, it's okay to sin. It reminds me of the Catholic indulgence system, where they literally, and they literally have this, and I'm sure they'll probably come back to this if they haven't already in some way, shape, or form, where if you went out and you raped a little girl, well, that's going to cost you this. Those were called indulgences, and the Catholic Church actually had those. You could do all kind of heinous crimes, and each crime required that you give the Catholic Church a certain amount of money, and maybe penance involved as well, maybe, you know, like ten Hail Marys or whatever. Now they just kind of stick with the, okay, you go to the confessional, which is a totally unbiblical thing to do. We, we're supposed to confess our faults one toward another, but not our sins, the gory sins that somebody gets into. You confess those to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. Father God, through the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. Okay, so, big difference. But the confessional... They would use that, and you know, they say, "Okay, now, uh, nowadays, they, they'll say, well, you did this, okay, ten Hail Marys, and whatever, all this garbage, to supposedly atone for your sins, when the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that could ever atone for your sins. It's, it's an absolute blasphemous abomination, the Catholic confessional. But yeah, they used to have that indulgence system set up, so it kind of reminds me of this. I have, I have peace offerings with me this day. Have I paid my vows? Oh, please. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I guess she's saying, I have peace offerings with me, I have paid my vows, so now I can go sin like, live like the devil. Which, if you kind of start in that mindset, that whole Catholic indulgent 
mindset, sure, oh, let's go act real religious and real holy. And a lot of people live this way. They'll go to church on Sunday. Oh, I went and I've kind of done my thing. You know, I've, I've given God my two hours on Sunday. Now I can live like I ever I want to live the rest of the week and live like the devil. Well, the Bible says that our lives are not our own and we're bought with a price. So, I mean, I'm saying this as much to myself as I would say to anyone else. I'm not saying that I'm over here living like in sinless perfection or whatever, but none of us are. Okay, we should strive for that though. And it just reminds me, this this whole thing reminds me of this Catholic indulgence system because it's like she's done this, she's paid her vows, now she can go live like the devil. Uh, Therefore, because she's paid her vows and she has peace offerings, therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. I mean, this lady was really determined. You know? Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. Oh, isn't that special? That's a real hallmark moment there. She's basically just wanting to have an adulterous relationship with this young guy in her own bed. And then it says... Why is all this, in other words, so why is all this permittable? Well, here it is in verse 19 that you get the answer to that question. For the good man is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. So her husband's gone, he's, he's out of town, probably earning money to try to support this wonderful Proverbs 31 woman wife. While she's out there, um, sleeping around. Living like the devil. Committing adultery behind the guy's back. He had taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. So in other words, she wants she wants to make sure he's 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 aware that they'll be able to, you know, have this uh, adulterous affair without him having to worry about the husband coming in. Going to verse twenty one, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With flattering, with the flattering of her lips, she forced him. Bible says, watch out for those that flatter you with their lips. I've, you know, I've seen that firsthand. Really watch out for people that, that would come and flatter with their lips and you know they have a hidden agenda. You know? He goeth after her straightway, meaning the, the guy, the, the young man, he goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dark dart strike through his liver, and as a bird hasteneth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. It's almost like he's a dead man, walking, because he's doing this. So it reminded me of this portion, this, this song that Amy Grant sung, because she did the exact thing in the song that she's talking about. And she did it unashamedly, evidently. I mean, she ended up coming out and marrying the guy. She made all these official announcements she didn't love this other guy, and he begged her back. Amy Grant's on her way to hell. There ain't no way she's saved. How could the Holy Spirit live inside her for all these years as a saved person and guide her to do all this wicked stuff? 
over and over and over on different levels, obviously. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside her. By their fruits you shall know them. And if you follow Amy Grant, you're going to go to hell just like her. I mean, if that's your if that's your benchmark for a Christian, if that's your gold standard, and for a lot of people, I know at least back then in the 90s, she was like the gold standard of the Christian they wanted to emulate. Whew. That's why I don't point people to me. I point people to the Word of God. Don't follow me. Follow the Word of God. Man can fail you. Well, man will always fail you if that's who you're following. You know, God will see to that. You want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. So, a frightening mark infiltrating much of Christian, contemporary Christian music is occult symbols. And many of these symbols are blatant recognition of the occult. Uh, Harper's Encyclopedia of Mystical and Paranormal Experience, page 594, says, quote, Symbols are important to all esoteric teachings in the occult. For they contain secret wisdom accessible only to the initiated. So, symbols are important to all esoteric teachings in the occult. For they contain secret wisdom accessible to only those initiated. Now, we've just done several teachings in this particular series on all of these symbols that are not so hidden on the album covers and videos and things of that nature. Okay, so, going further here, in Amy's video... That's what love is for. Oh, that, she's really a good one to be teaching about what love is for, you know. It should be, that's what lust is for. Anyway, um, in Amy's video, that's what love is for, some occult symbols are clearly and openly displayed. In the video, Amy dresses in a red robe. And I mean, she's even got the head covering. Okay, it's like an occult red robe. Okay, like you would see in, and I've even read depictions about occult ceremonies where people are either in typically scarlet this is more of like a scarlet reddish robe or they're in black robes it depends on the occasion it depends on rank and hierarchy and stuff like that but she's in this really openly flagrantly occultic red robe and and i give you the pictures here you can see the actual pictures from the video uh and strangely then while in the red robe with these red gloves flashes Six pointed stars on the palms of her hands. So she, she's like this. She's her face. Her her hands are around her face, and she's got red gloves on, red robe, red covering, with golden a gold colored six pointed stars on each palm. It's really weird looking. I mean, why would you have that? There's a there's a message that is trying to be sent. Amy is flashing the hexagram. Okay, which I've done a whole study on the hexagram. Okay, that you can access. That it's one of the most highest symbols in all of witchcraft. It's not the symbol of Israel, okay, and, and all that other stuff. It has nothing to do with Israel. It has everything to do with high-level witchcraft. Okay, and I get into the whole reasons how it wound up on the Israeli flag within the study. Most people don't even know what it, it really truly represents. Uh, particularly Jews. So, going further here... It is common knowledge that the hands are the primary contact point in the occult. That is why you place your hands on the Ouija board and join hands in a seance. The six-pointed star Amy communicates is a hexagram. Hex is a spell used to place a, a curse on someone. Hex is also the Greek word for the number six. 
Did you know that? Hex is the Greek word for the number six. Sean Sellers, a former Satanist who was executed for sacrificing three people to Satan, says in his book, Web of Darkness, page 51, that the hexagram, quote, is said by someone to be the most powerful and evil sign in Satanism in all of the occult world, end of quote. And this is a guy that sacrificed and was executed for sacrificing three people to Satan. Probably sounds like he's an authority on this particular subject. Going further, Sellers also states the, quote, the hexagram is used mainly in witchcraft to summon demons from the underworld, end of quote. And here she is flashing them in a witchcraft robe in one of her most popular videos that she ever put, that's what love is for. I mean, this is some really high level occult. Now, again, okay, the other stuff you could have said, yeah, but you can't include her in hidden Luciferians in Christian culture. I think we can now. I mean, before we had just proved that basically she was an adulterous whore. Okay, now I think we can prove that she's actually most likely involved in witchcraft and that all of these behavior patterns are all by design. Because she knows she's going to have a following of Christians. I, I knew one in particular. And when a lot of this stuff started happening with Amy Grant, I can remember the reaction from this particular uh Christian lady that I know, and she was devastated. I mean, really, really, really devastated over the whole thing. Well, she put her trust in a man, or a woman, in this case. Going further, as Amy is flashing the, quote, hexagram, a mysterious black-attired man in, uh, in the background, which you can see, you can even, I mean, it's, it's really creepy. It's a guy that is wearing this really long-brimmed, dark black hat, uh, as she is flashing the hexagrams and she's in the red robe, uh, a mysterious black attired man begins digging up a guitar from the underground. This is no coincidence or accident. These videos cost thousands of dollars to produce. They are researched and choreographed to the smallest detail. They're sending messages to people in the occult that she is one of us. In other words, I give you also here the teaching that I did called the Hexagram and the Mark of the Beast. So if you want to know about the Hexagram, the link's right here to my teaching in the PDF. It's going to be about on page 5 of the 22-page PDF for July 3rd, 2011. Okay, now let's go to the next group. Okay, so the next group that we're going to talk about is called Pod. Catchy name, don't you think? Why don't they call it like Peapod? Or, you know, something that makes a little more sense. I mean, when I think of pods, I think of those portable on-demand storage units, you know, that they sell. They're called pods. But this is just pod. P-O-D. Anyway, sporting heavily tattooed and pierced bodies, the group pod, which stands for payable on death. Yeah, that's a real nice Christian band. Anyway, they're heavily tattooed, pierced bodies. Now, I know I need to do a study on... Tattoos and piercing. And I've got all the material set aside that I've compiled over the years. Not to say it's totally exhaustive, but I mean... Tattoos and piercings like this are straight from the pit of hell. You are literally adopting devils and demons every time you practice these things. I understand there's some open debate about earrings, okay? But I'm talking about the primarily about the people regarding tattoos and these people that get piercings all over them. And again, I really need to do a 
total teaching on that to thoroughly cover the subject. So, you know, it's just there's really not enough hours in the day hardly anymore. It's really hard for me to get in these dedicated teachings anymore uh, with all the breaking current events. But I'm trying to kind of go back and forth in as much as time permits. So, they're heavily tattooed, pierced bodies. Uh, they have destroyed any remaining fragments of biblical separation and convictions. Pot is undoubtedly the most popular rock band ever courted by the Christian world. Their metal reggae CDs are mega million top sellers. I mean, hey, heavy metal reggae? What's not, what's not Christian about that? You know? What is wrong with us? We're just all a bunch of fuddy-duddies if we don't like this heavy metal reggae Christian stuff. You know, we all need to just lighten up, I guess. And that's what they'd say, I'm sure. You know? So, um, obviously that was all tongue-in-cheek. But, crowned by the Christian community, such as HM Magazine, as, quote, the most important rock band today, end of quote. That was from 2001, so not to say there's not a lot more satanic stuff going on now. Okay, but at the time, and these are just good examples to kind of key in on. Uh, going further, Pod is clearly, quote, king of the Christian rock empire. Pod is frequently quoted in rock magazines, openly using profanity. In Circus Magazine, um, Trey, his name's T-R-A-A, of Pod, says, this is a guy in the band, he says, quote, of course we've got the same view on, on life as most people out there. It's too short, and most of the time, it's quite, um quite a blank business. Just say, let's just say it's a cuss word. Okay. And it's not like one of those cuss words is borderline. It's, it's pretty bad. He said that in Circus Magazine, July uh, 2002, page 22. I love these Christian videos that I see about like Christians up there and they'll go and they'll put a YouTube video up and they'll be all mad about something. And they go up there and they'll talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and following God and the Word of God and they'll start cussing. I mean, I'm like, I'm thinking, man, you just blew it so bad. I mean, I, I, it's on, a lot of them, I agree with everything they're saying up until the point when they start with a profanity. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. To abstain from all appearance of evil. Okay, I'm not saying that I think I'm Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. But, you know, that's not something that you want to go up there and, and be spewing profanity. I mean, they're mad about something, and they're, they're using the same tactics as the world would use. You know, you overcome, you know, evil with good, not evil with evil. So, it just, what it does is it really ruins your witness, I believe, when you start doing that. Uh, so, let's go further here. Uh, let's see here. What a glowing testimony for a supposedly Christian band. Uh, life is blank. Life is a blank business. Uh, what about the wonderful words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 10.10? 10? I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Uh, other instances of Pod's profanity are, and I'm just, there's one real bad cuss word. It's, it's the F word. And then there's the D word, and then there's the D word again, and there's others, many, many others. And they give you all the, the sources, the exact, where these quotes were said in this. It's not like speculation. Um, 
So, and again, that's Colossians 3.8, but now ye put also, also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Okay, Colossians 3.8, so, anyway. Pod's perverted brand of Christianity is a mix of Rastafarianism, I, I, I mean, I read this, I could not believe what I was reading. I could not believe what I was reading. Their brand of perverted Christianity is Rastafarianism and liberal Christianity. And I mean liberal. Is there such a thing as liberal Christianity? <laughs> it's either you follow in the word of God or you're not. You know? Rastafarianism is a satanic religion that be- began in Jamaica in the 1930s that mixes Christianity, Hinduism, New Age, mysticism, racism, and voodoo all in one package. One of the signs of a Rasta is the dreadlocks hairstyle. The hairstyle of Pod. Uh, and They're showing the, the um, lead singer here, and he's got... I've seen... I saw quite a few pictures of him researching this, and I mean, he's had dreadlocks, I mean, the whole time. And I mean, these are... At some points, these dreadlocks are mega, mega long. I mean, they're down to just about his waist. Okay. In their concerts, Pod displayed a huge picture of a Rasta dreadlocked Jesus. I'm not lying. I'm looking right at it, and it's right in the PDF. The picture's right here. A Rasta dreadlocked Jesus in the background. It's this picture of this... Rasta version of Jesus Christ, and he's basically, they're depicting him of the, the little bit of clothes that he might have had before going to the cross, um, and he's got a heart on his chest with a cross above it, and it's one of those Catholic, uh, you ever see like the, the, the immaculate heart of Mary where they like they have their chest like kind of ripped open, you can see their heart? type of thing, and there's like rays shooting out of it. It's very, very Catholic in its depiction, okay? Which got me really wondering, and and after I um, after we get through this, we'll understand why there's a lot of this Catholic mingling with this blasphemous, blasphemous picture I'm looking at here. These devils don't have, I mean, any fear of God. And anybody that would go to their concerts, I can't, I can't even imagine what they could possibly be thinking when they see these blasphemous images that are synonymous with this pod group. The Rasta God is now, I understand that in the Bible there's one, I believe one verse that refers to Jehovah's Jah. Okay? But the Rasta God is Jah. Now remember, Satan has his counterfeits. Okay? And a lot of people that are caught up in I know Sherry Shriner, for one, um, and some of the Hebrew Roots people, they have all these different names for God that they think makes them more holy because they speak them. And I've done a whole study on this. The sacred name movement exposed. Okay? And I know that's going to lose me a whole bunch of listeners, but, you know, listen. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Listen to my teaching first. He that judgeth the matter before he heareth it it is a folly and a shame unto him. That's what the Bible says. So if you already says, oh, I'm done, I'm done with this guy. Okay, fine, fine. Go your merry way. But you haven't even listened to the information that I would put out. 
Yahweh is not a word I would ever use to describe God, number one. Okay? And the reason is, is it's, it's synonymous with the Tetragrammaton, and this is a whole subject where we delve into the occult. Um, this whole thing with Jah, uh, there's a lot of people that refer to God as Jah. And remember, Satan has his counterfeits. So, you can go down that road, and a lot of people are actually calling upon demonic spirits with that exact name. Okay? I stick with the Lord Jesus Christ, Father God, in the English-speaking language. It's always worked for me. You know? Always. And I, and again, if you want to hear some instances where I called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to my teaching on su- my supernatural experiences. Just key supernatural into the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. Worked great for me. I didn't need to use all these other supposed names for God. God is not the author of confusion. Are you a Hebrew? I mean, is that your native tongue? Well, why do you feel as though you have to use Hebrew terms for God? Or Greek terms? Well, because it makes me... It's better. It's more closer to the original dialect or meaning. Well, okay. Um, listen to my teaching first, and, and um, you know, if God's still convicting you to do that, that's up to you. But I kind of veer, veer away from that, personally. Uh, I've seen a lot of people that get in that, most of them get heavily involved in the Hebrew Roots movement. And they're totally unreachable at that point. You can't reach them, because they know everything. They're way more holier than you, they're celebrating all the feasts, they're, cel- they're keeping the Sabbath. They're doing all the stuff in the uh, the old Jewish Levitical law, and you're not to be compared with them. They're better than you. They're more holy than you. They're holier than thou. Come not thou near me, as the Bible says, because I am holier than thou. That's what happens. What is that? Pride? What does pride do to you? What did it do to Satan? It blinded him. He could not see. He became lifted up. Why? Because of his beauty and because of his merchandise, according to, I believe, Ezekiel. Then he said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend unto the sides of the north. I'm going to usurp God's position. I mean, he had to be pretty delusional. That's what pride does to you. It blinds you. You cannot see anymore. You think you're seeing clearly. You think you're seeing clearer than you've ever saw in your life. I finally see this is the path. You and your little cadre of believers. And you're the only ones that are saved, too. You also get to that point. Well, I'm the only one that's... I, I, I cannot tell you how many people out there, how many ministers are out there, and I get these people emailing me all the time, this guy says this, and his little, like this guy I saw the other day, Darwin Fish, he had the audacity to to make a statement where he said, me and my little cadre of believers are the only ones that we believe on planet earth that are saved, and he even said, and I don't know of anybody since the apostles essentially, that I could say were saved either. So in other words, every single person probably all died and went to hell, other than finally this guy who finally saw the truth, and he's saved, and his little cadre of believers. But he's just one of probably thousands. This is how cults get started. This is why I tell people, do not follow Scott Johnson or any other man, but follow the word of God. Put your faith and your trust in the word of God. I'm telling you, there are cults everywhere. Everywhere. Most 
even modern day religious systems in, in Christianity are cults in some way, shape, or form. They're not teaching the full truth. They're not, they're leaving stuff out. They're not preparing their flock for what's coming. They're not. They're just, you know, a lot of it's just they're, they're in it for the money. Or they're preaching this real social gospel. Tickle in the ears, you know. Or putting all kind of heresy in there. Not to say everybody, but I'm saying there's a lot that do it. And there's so many people, so many ministers that are so blinded with pride. And they think they're the only ones on the planet that have everything figured out in the Bible. What is that? That is pride. That is so arrogant. I would never say that. And once you start thinking that, you're already deceived. You're already going down the devil's path. You, I mean, you're already there. And you, and you become unreachable. And your listeners and your followers become unreachable. Unreachable. Because they think they're the only ones on the planet that are saved. Everybody else is going to hell. But us, us privileged few, we're the only ones that got it all figured out. We're so special. No, you know what? God has his followers and his believers scattered all over this globe. He knows who are his sheep and who are not. He's got them hidden in a lot of different places, and a lot of people don't even know they're there or they exist. I believe that God's going to use them in a mighty way in the days and times coming. But those, I believe his, his sheep are humble. That is going to be one of the earmarks of his sheep. They're going to be humble. They're going to understand that, you know what? They're going to understand their place in relation to God. Father God, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not going to be all puffed up with pride, thinking, yes, I'm going to go out there and do this, and we're the only ones saved, and all you other Cretan are all going to hell. I, I, I cannot tell you how prevalent I see that. And it just, I don't think there's anything that, um, just about that gets me madder when you see this over and over and over again within ministries. All of this pride that I see. And, and, you know, the Bible says we see through a glass but darkly, but then face to face. None of us have it all figured out. None of us. We, not, we ought not to think of ourselves more highly, the Bible says to not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. To, condesc- to condescend of men of low estate. To consider the pit from which you were dug. You know, humility is where it's at. Humility and the fear of God. Fear of God will, will automatically, I really believe, um, most of the time, give you the proper type of humility that you need. But again, sorry, I kind of got off on a tangent there. Anyway, the fundamental elements of Southtown, their album cover, does not contain the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, but the Rasta God, Jah, which occurs ten times. Now, you know. I mean, this is the Rasta God job. This isn't, this isn't the one time I believe it's used in the Bible. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure the statement was accurate. It occurs one time in the Bible, and um, it, this particular usage of, of Jah, okay? And um, it's abbreviated for the word Jehovah, okay? Jah, Jehovah in the shortened form. Uh, the proper name of the one true God. I'm looking from um, Strong's Concordance here. So, if we go further here, sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that writeth upon the heavens by his name, Jah, and rejoice before him. That's Psalm 68, verse 4. 
Okay, so this is not the same Jah that Pod is worshipping. This is the name of their deity, essentially, in the Rastafarians. They just adopted the same name. Okay, in this particular case of Jah. But see, do you understand how Pod could, could, could play innocent? Oh, well, it's, it's in the Bible. You know, hey man. Yeah, but you've got a Rasta Jesus behind you. A Jesus with dreadlocks and this sacred Catholic heart. And I mean, how blasphemous can you possibly be? How can you, how can you have any less fear of God that he would strike you dead? And I believe those days are coming. The Bible says, judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. I truly believe those days are very near. I don't know how much more God can put up with. So, the Fundamental Elements of Southtown, one of their albums, that's what it's called, The Fundamental Elements of Southtown, uh, does not contain the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, but the Rasta God, Jah, which occurs ten times. Spin Magazine set of Pod, Wuv, in the band, evidently that's one of the names of the guys, Wuv. It's a neat name. I remember there was a Wuv's when I was a little kid. It was a ha- really greasy hamburger fry place. We called Wuv's. Anyway, a little side note there. Anyway, Wuv and the band have structured their lives around a spiritual belief system that crossfades Christianity, Rastafarianism, and Judaism. That was said by Spin Magazine, October 2001, page 88. All of these are referenced, all of these quotes. Okay, Guitar World writes, A lot of spirituality you guys project seems to be more akin to Rastafarianism than mainstream Christianity. Yeah, well, you're right about that. And then Pod frequently performs Rasta prophet Bob Marley's music in their concert. Bob Marley. Now, one of the main tenets of, of Rastafarianism in Bob Marley is smoking marijuana in copious amounts. Okay? Um... Bob Marley's like the poster child for all that. You know? Pod frequently performs his songs in concert. During their satellite concert, they did Marley's Rasta anthem, Get Up, Stand Up. Some of the lyrics are, quote, We sick and tired of your bull, you know, bull blank game. Uh, and then die and go to heaven in Jesus' name. Oh, that's real nice. That's real nice. So they 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 com- they have the first part of the ver- of their lyric. We sick and tired of your bowl blank game. Die and go to heaven in Jesus' name. That's real nice. That's that's really biblical. Um, and then goes on further, and then says, Almighty God is a living man. Now this is the same song. Almighty God is a living man. Who is it? Holly Selassie. And you're thinking, what? What is that? Holly Selassie? We're going to get to good old Holly Selassie here in a second. I had a little personal experience of this myself with good old Holly Selassie. I was, uh, when I was practicing chiropractic back in Florida, uh, I was working uh, at this clinic. It was like, I was only there one or two times. And it was like, it was in an area of uh, a town called Immokalee in Florida. Kind of a migrant community. Um, and I was in this clinic, and this guy, he's, he's on the table. And I look at, and like, you know, they go face down, and I'm, I'm checking his back and stuff. And I look at the back of his shirt, and it said, had this guy, it was a black guy, he was sitting on this throne. 
I mean, this gold throne. It was on the shirt. And it said, Holly Selassie, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega. I mean, every single title. Not every single, but a whole bunch of the most holy titles you would attribute to the Lord Jesus Christ. This guy was taking on himself. I was like, are you kidding me? I got that guy up, I'm like, dude, what is up with your shirt? And he didn't even, this guy was wearing this shirt just because it was a shirt. He wasn't even, I don't think, a follower of Holly Selassie or Rastafarianism or anything like that. But I went home and I did a study on it. Now, one of my studies, I got into this in depth, it was one of my oldest studies ever that I actually put up online. I don't know which one it is. Because the problem is, is my table of contents on the older studies on contendingfortruth.com, they're not really searchable. Only the titles are searchable. So, maybe someday we'll get that corrected. That's kind of tough thing to do. Actually, it's really tough because I really didn't do table of contents back then near as much. Um, you know, I was getting started and I didn't have everything perfect. Not to say it's perfect now, but it's a lot better than it was then. Well, um, let's just let's do another little brief study on Rastafarianism because this pod group is is more Rastafarian than anything else by far. Rastafarianism, while it's most often associated with dreadlocks, smoking of marijuana, and reggae music, the Rastafarianism religion is much more than simply a religion of Jamaica. With its beginnings in the Jamaican slums, Rastafarianism has spread throughout the world and currently has a membership of over 700,000. The Rastafarians, oh, this is, then they give the quote, uh, they give the actual source for that information. Going further, as with many other religious groups, the history is also one that begins before the group itself. Marcus Garvey was born in 1887 and would direct the philosophical ideologies that would eventually grow into the Rastafarian movement. In the early 1920s, Garvey was an influential black spokesman and founder of the Back to Africa movement. He often spoke of the redemption of his people as a coming occasion. Garvey proclaimed, quote, Look to Africa for the crowning of a black king. He shall be the redeemer. And again, this is all referenced, all these quotes, I'm, they're all referenced. It's in the PDF for 7-3-2011. Only a few years later, that prediction would be fulfilled in the person of Ethiopia's king, Holly Selassie. As Barrett has explained, quote, in the pantheon of Rastafarians, Marcus Garvey is second only to Holly Selassie. So, of course, he's going to be, you know, one of the main, main guys. He started the religion. I guess, you know, you can have that kind of latitude when you start your own religion, uh, your own cult. And um, on November 2nd, 1930, Ras Tafari Makonin was crowned king of Ethiopia. Upon his coronation, this was 1930, upon his coronation, he claimed for himself the titles of Emperor Haile Selassie, Power of the Trinity, Conquering Lion of the Tribe of Judah, Elect of God, and the King of Kings of Ethiopia. I mean, you're talking some blasphemous, way, way blasphemous stuff here. I mean, mega blasphemous. So, Wuv of Pod. I just love these names. I just can't get enough. I'm going to name my my next ten kids Wuv. Of course, I'm not married, so it's kind of tough. But, um, yeah, I mean, 
I'm gonna name him Wove regardless of gender. You know, what's not to like about that name, Wove? I just love that. Anyway, sorry, just kidding. Wove of Pod tells Rolling Stone magazine, one of the most wicked magazines on the planet, quote, just because Pod are a spiritual band doesn't mean we adhere to any one religion, end of quote. And they call themselves Christian. And people think they're Christian. I mean, is this not totally laughable? <laughs> Just because we're spiritual. You know what? Anton LaVey was a really, really spiritual guy. Bound up with, with, with religion. He was really spiritual. But of course he was a Satanist. Same could be said for Aleister Crowley. Or Madame Blavatsky. Or Alice Bailey. Double Betraya. Benjamin Krem. You know, the gang's all here. <sighs> so, just because Pod or a spiritual band doesn't mean we adhere to any one religion. Well, it's true. He explores them all. Rastafarianism, a little bit of Judaism mixed in there, a little bit of uh, liberal, liberal, mega liberal Christianity, you know, who knows? What else might be in there? Pod proudly appears on the Howard Stern Show. Howard Stern one of the most wicked, evil devils that has ever walked the planet. They proudly appear on Howard Stern. Uh, and tours with many filthy rockers, appears in the blasphemous movie Little Nicky, and many other blatant anti-Christian environments. I mean, this is just unbelievable. In fact, the only issue that Pod viciously attacks is Bible-believing Christians. Why would that surprise us? You know, Sonny of Pod, actually a guy on Pod that actually has a name that I can like kind of recognize. Sonny. Wow. He's really pushing the envelope with that name, you know. Uh, Sonny of Pod says, quote, we don't fit into the conservative values of Christian America, end of quote. It, yeah, that's an understatement. He goes on to say, quote, I don't even like saying I'm a Christian. <laughs> you shouldn't because you're not. You're more like a Satanist. Sometimes because it leaves such a bad taste in people's mouth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Marcos of Pod blatantly says, quote, to tell the truth, though, I don't even like the term Christian. End of quote. Now, a lot of people say they don't like that term because it's been so diluted and so... Well, the Bible says they were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay, so actually, that is a biblical term. I believe it says that in Acts. They were first called Christians in Antioch. Christians, followers of Christ. Most people that would call themselves a Christian today are anything but a follower of Christ. Or, or the word of God. Which, you know, you follow Christ, you follow the word of God. Okay, uh, I'm probably going to need to switch gears here. And I, I don't like stopping a part in the middle of... Um, a particular expose, but I got a lot more to cover with Pod. But see, this isn't just about Pod. Okay, this is about a, an, a, an education in the occult aspects of Christian rock. So we're we're covering a lot more than just Pod. Okay, we're not just gonna we're we're actually gonna be doing looking at a lot of different subjects that go along with this. So I'm gonna go ahead and end part one here, and we'll go to part two and we'll pick this up. God bless you. If you would like to sign up for Scott Johnson's free Christian current events and health newsletters, please email him at 
drjohnson at ix.netcom.com. That's drjohnson at the letter i, the letter x, dot n-e-t-c-o-m dot com. With the word subscribe in the subject line. Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. Please help us continue this work. To support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line 450, Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, Boulevard West, number 202, 3rd Line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.